The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word open with me to Exodus chapter 10 this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 10, and uh, we'll, Lord willing, walk through verses 21 through 29. Uh, You ever been in the dark? I mean, like really in the dark? Um, There's this old story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but... uh, Humor me, if you will. There's an old story about a, a young man who, uh, who went spelunking, who went exploring in caves. And uh, you, could, you could try to get me to do that, and you would never in a million years be able to get me to do that because I'm just a tad bit claustrophobic. But this young man decided to, to go spelunking, and he explored back in this cave by himself. And he had, at that time, uh, what was, I guess, a, a carbide lantern. Uh, attached to his head, used to be used in mining, probably still is to some degree used in in mining. And um, it it runs off these little pellets. And so he was, gets its light, gets its power from these little pellets. And he had a supply of those, those, those pellets with him as he went back through this cave, got deep back under this mountain, and finally snaked his way and crawled through. And this cave opened up into this Room inside this mountain that was enormous. And he was just amazed by what he, were, he was taking in. He, he looked around, and the light from that, that lantern strapped to his head just filled that cavern with, with glorious light. And he, he went around exploring for a little while, and he, he came to the edge of what was an incredibly deep precipice. I mean, it was, he was on the precipice. It was, it was a, a cliff, a, a hole that sank for what seemed like forever. In fact, he stood there and he, and he took some rocks that he found in the cave and he, and he put them over the side. And it seemed like it went on for several seconds before he heard it hit something below. And he, he sat and he just took it in for a while. And finally, he, he sat there on the edge and he realized that the lantern that he was wearing was about to, to go out. The, the pellet that it was running off of was losing its, its power. And so he decided it's time to replace that. So he sat down on the edge of that, that cliff and uh, took out that jar of pellets and he sat it there on the, the, the rock beside him and, and opened the jar and got ready. He took one last look around before he removed that pellet and cut the light out. The darkness that was thick darkness. And he reached his hand over and he groped along the rock to find that jar of pellets and his clumsy fingers knocked that jar over. And he could hear pellets hitting the floor of the bottom of the cliff below. And panic set in. He groped around with his fingers and he could not feel anything until finally, after several seconds, his finger found one pellet. And he, as carefully as he possibly could, took that pellet in his fingers and lodged it back into that lantern. And suddenly, the most glorious light filled that place. See, there is a darkness that can absolutely paralyze. There is a darkness that is absolutely deadly. 
And we don't realize how we value light until the light is absolutely gone. We're going to see today in this ninth plague, God bring darkness that is deadly. And in this darkness, he is indeed giving Pharaoh one more opportunity to turn from his pride and his rebellion and receive the light that would never go out. Let's look at our text this morning. Exodus chapter 10, beginning in verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care to to never see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. This morning we need to see the light of God's grace. So pray with me before we explain and walk into this text. Let's pray. God, I I pray that you would take the word and, God, that you would use it as light today in our souls. That we would today see the glorious provision of the only light to be found in Jesus Christ. Lord, ruin our affairs. Ruin our affections for other things. And, God, give us hearts today that are enraptured by you. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want us to look at today in this text is just looking at the darkness, darkness over the land. Uh, Look at the way the text describes it. Let's just kind of walk through it here. It says that darkness was over the land of Egypt, yet the people of Israel had light where they lived. I mean, look at the stark contrast. I mean, you ever been up on a mountain somewhere, maybe up in a cabin, and you could see off in the distance in in the dark night a city that was over there somewhere? And you could see the light and how it contrasts with the darkness of, of where you are. This is the picture here of darkness being over Egypt, but light being where the people of Israel are. And then the text says it's a darkness to be felt. This is a palpable darkness. A darkness that's so intense as to be almost touched. It could simply be meaning here, when the the text says that this is a darkness to be felt, it could simply be talking about it's a darkness that requires groping. You ever ever gotten up in the middle of the night, you're staying in a strange place, and uh, at your house, you can get up in the middle of the night, you can navigate, you kind of know how many steps here and there, but you're in a strange place, and it's dark, and you're feeling your way around. I mean, and sometimes you're feeling not with your fingers, but you're feeling with your toes. You know what I'm talking about? 
you, you find the, the post of the bed. Well, maybe that's what it's talking about here is that it was so dark that all they could do was literally just, just kind of feel around to get anywhere within their houses. But possibly, and, and most certainly, it's, it's, it was felt in many ways. If, if it is just talking about groping, there's still a sense that this darkness is to be felt. It's, it, the, the text here says they didn't see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place. It's, the ways that this could be felt, this darkness would be felt, would be that fellowship would be cut off, all communities cut off, friendship is cut off. You, you don't see anybody. You, you, can't, you can't communicate with them. It's almost implied in the text that, that somehow supernaturally, even, even the lighting of candles produced no good effect. All commerce would have been cut off and business came to a sudden halt. Transportation would have been impossible. They didn't have the transportation like you and I have today, but it, it, it would have just been impossible to go out and navigate and, and, and to go anywhere in the land. Remember, they're living in a land close to the Nile, and, and you think about going out and navigating around the Nile in the dark, darkness that you can't see anything. It's a thick darkness. There, there would have been angst and frustration. You ever been alone in a house, with, not alone, but with, with some people in a house, and the power goes out for a few days? And what happens? The people that, that you're so sweet and kind to in the beginning, they're on your nerves. And you're on their nerves. And this would have been felt in this way. There had been angst and frustration. Not only that, but possibly there's, there's a level of depression that begins to, to set in. I remember just after seminary, uh, we served in a, little, in, a, in a church in a little town called Pikeville, Pikeville, Kentucky. And uh, it was in the eastern part of Kentucky where West Virginia and, and, and Kentucky kind of come together. In fact, it is the place where the McCoys are, are located. The Hatfields are across the line. And, uh, and I actually had McCoys that were in my youth group there in, in Pikeville. But it was just mountains around us, not very tall mountains, more like hills. But they were, they were these deep hollers, if you will, right? And the wintertime would set in, and all the trees, the, the leaves would die, and it would get dark, and it seemed like it rained every day, and it was cold. And I remember every winter, it would just seem like I would just slip into this just funk of, oh, I just need some light. And then spring would come, and it just felt like everything just came back to life. And I, I think probably here, this darkness over the land, albeit that it's only three days, begins to affect the... the um, the emotions of those that are going through it. The Bible here says that it's a pitch darkness, meaning that it's a thick darkness or literally a dark darkness, that, that it, is, it is beyond just somewhat dark. It is thick in its darkness. That it lasted three days. In the Old Testament, three days was symbolic of something that was complete. It was the completing of an action. So a great point that we could extrapolate from this is that when Jesus was dead three days, he completed the work there. But this is showing that there is a darkness that God brings that, that is a complete work of judgment. Well, let me give you just some things about darkness that go beyond just this physical darkness of what they must have felt. The first is this. Darkness in, in the Bible is a, is a sign of God's judgment. Let me give you just some, some verses that, uh, that, 
that point this out. In Joel chapter 2, verse 31, it says, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Revelation chapter 16, verses 10 through 11 says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. It's an awful, awful judgment, a judgment that produces the gnawing of tongue and cursing of God. Yet, it's not the final judgment. Revelation 16 is is describing a judgment on the beast, but there is a final judgment that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, verse 12, Jesus said, The sons of the kingdom, meaning those that were of Israel that, that, uh, that refused to find him as the Messiah, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is described in multiple places throughout the New Testament as outer darkness. I used to, as a kid, wonder, wait a minute, if it's a lake of fire, then how can it also be outer darkness? I don't know how that works. I can't explain that to you other than there's, there's this element of darkness that is this, it's, it's meant to signify this aloneness. Um, Mark Twain uh, has this famous quote where he said, go to hell for the company and to heaven for the climate. But the reality is there will be no fellowship in hell. There's a, there's a world that believes, and maybe you're here today and you believe that what could be so wrong with hell because all my friends, all the people that I like to be around, they seem to all be heading there. So we'll just all be together. What could be so wrong with hell? But I think the outer darkness of hell is meant to tell us that there will be no fellowship. There will be no community whatsoever. It will be utter aloneness. Second thing about uh, darkness is not only is it a symbol of God's judgment, but it's also specifically associated with God's abandonment in the Bible. 1 John 1, 5 says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so here we're, we're meant to see that, that when God brings darkness on the land, we really should probably see this not so much as God bringing darkness to Egypt, but as him removing the light that he's going to walk away, that he's pulling away, that they have known his grace in ways they did not realize, that even though they were worshiping idols and and gods of their own making in, in all sorts of forms, they had known his grace in this common experience of everyday life, of their hearts beating and their lungs filling with air and having health and food and shelter and, and, and a prosperous society they were living in. All of this was the, the common grace of a kind and generous God, but God was about to pull back. And when Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. They didn't realize that it was even in his presence, his grace that was giving them the things that they were enjoying, but he was about to even in that pull back to where they would know none of it. This darkness symbolizing God's abandonment is seen most clearly when Jesus was on the cross. 
Do you remember the point on, in, when Jesus was there on the cross in Matthew 27 when he said, it, the Bible tells us from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're meant to see here. Egypt is meant to see and feel the pain of God abandoning them. Even though he was not their God. And in Exodus 5, Pharaoh had, had dared to say, who's the Lord? I don't know him. God is about to show them just what it will be like in a world without his kindness. The third thing about darkness is that darkness is a, is a return here to um, what creation would have been like on day zero, if you will. In fact, this is what God's been doing all throughout the plagues. God has been almost reversing creation. We see in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, God says that the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Those three descriptions there of what the world was like before God entered in and brought order to it give us a great picture that it was without form, meaning that it was orderless or chaotic, that it was void, it was empty, that it was dark, it had no light whatsoever. God, in his grace and his mercy, looked at that, and not because there was something there that was a problem for him, but because he looked at us that would be created. That was terrible grammar. I'm sorry for that. Uh, but he, he looked at our plight that would be coming. And God, out of his grace, brought order to it all. What God is doing here in Exodus is God is reversing that and showing them what it's like to go back to a world without order. God's grace leads him to remedy those things, and now his judgment is going to bring about chaos again, emptiness, darkness. In fact, God's been reversing creation in Egypt through the plagues from the beginning. One commentator wrote it this way, the God who made the waters turned the Nile into blood. The God who made green things grow destroyed vegetation with hail and locusts. The God who made creatures swim in the sea and swarm on dry land brought death to, to fish and frogs. The God who made men and beasts sent them diseases and even death. Here the God who brought light out of darkness made light fade to black. And God is, is looking at Pharaoh in his rebellion and looking at Egypt in their rebellion, and he's saying, you don't want me? Okay, I'm going to show you what it's like without me. And he's walking backwards out of the order that he brought to creation. And the fourth thing about darkness here that we need to understand, and he's been doing it all the way through. Numbers, the book of Numbers tells us about this. Numbers 33 tells us the reason for the plagues was to destroy the gods of Egypt. So here, darkness displays sovereignty over one particular god in Egypt, Ra. Ra was the sun god. He was the, the chief god. He was the most common god among the Egyptians. The pharaohs claimed uh, that they were direct descendants, sons, if you will, of Ra. That he may be the, the chief light, but they were the direct descendant of the light. 
uh, every night when the sun would begin to set, they would, they would see that, the Egyptians would see that as the other gods in their economy, the gods of the underworld, challenging Ra. Ra had held the sun in the sky all day long, but when the sun would begin to set, they saw it as these gods challenging Ra, but that in the morning when the sun would come back up again, it was Ra's victory over them all. They saw him as the most powerful God that there would be. And imagine, I want you to see, imagine what it would be like. That For years, the sun had always come back up. But all of a sudden, Moses, as God's prophet, the God of the Hebrews, proclaims darkness over the land. And for three days, the sun does not come up. This is a direct attack on Ra. They are defeated. Their God has just been put down. If their God is the sun and the sun has been blotted out, they're left with nothing but emptiness and hopelessness. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 through 7 says, I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God is the one who brings light. He is the one who destroys light. Darkness. I want to then move further in the text out of verses 21 and 23 beyond looking at the darkness. And I want to to look at just a couple of points here in the little bit of time that we have left. The first is just titled this, Groping in the Darkness. Groping in the darkness. Or you could say it this way, Groping for the Light. See, Pharaoh's reaction here when the darkness comes and it sets in and it's it's an attack on Ra is... His, his response gives us a great picture of how the world without Christ seeks to find light. Because the reality is the world around us knows that the world is dark. They, they know, they look around and, and they see that there's darkness, things that should not be the way they are. No one has to, has to persuade or convince people of that. They know there is darkness. And without Christ, they're left to, to grope for the switch seeking to find a way to turn the light on in their existence. Maybe you're here today and that's your condition. This is not me standing up here in this ivory tower looking down on you and pronouncing judgment on you. I'm simply stating the reality of your condition. This is the reality of my condition before God invaded my life with his light. Every single believer in here, we were left in this condition where we were groping for the light before God gloriously filled our cavern with it. In verse 24, Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your your little ones also may go with you, meaning the women and the children. Last week he had said, leave those behind, hoping to, to hold on to them as hostages. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. He's still trying to to compromise. And Pharaoh's trying to find the light again by bargaining with God. God, in the beginning, had named his price. 
God's price in the beginning was, let my people go, that they may serve me. And Pharaoh, all throughout Exodus to this point, Pharaoh has been saying, um, God, that's, that's a steep price to pay. How about I give you this? And God says, nope, the offer is firm. The price is firm. Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, well, you've brought some things on me. I'm, I'm willing to compromise. Here's my next offer. And God says, nope, the price is firm. Let my people go. And all along the way, for the third time now, Pharaoh is saying, wait, let me give you this. And God all the way through is saying, nope, the price is firm. And here we are going to come in just in the next couple of weeks to see that Pharaoh thought he could bargain with God and he will wind up at the very place that God named in the, in the first place. Without Christ, the world's left to, to groping for the light. I, I want to borrow this from, from Matt Chandler. For the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at this, this study that Travis has been leading. We've been looking at this together in Wednesday night, Recovering Redemption. And Matt Chandler, who is a pastor in Texas, uh, has pointed this out in the first couple of sessions. But it, it's very applicable here. When people grope for the light, when they they know the world's dark, they know it's not as it should be, they're left to grope for the light, and there are basically four places that people will go to. People will go to themselves and think, okay, if there's light to be had, then I've got to turn that light on. I've got to pick myself up by the bootstraps, and I've got to find out how this is going to be right in my world. And the reality is there's not anything in you that can turn the light on because the Bible says that your heart is desperately wicked, that your heart is filled with darkness. Another place people turn to groping for the light is they turn to other people. They think that, well, if I just had a spouse or if I just had a child or if I, if I just had a dad who, or if I just had... And they turn to other people thinking that those people will somehow bring light into their lives. And the reality is what you find is when you place all of your hope in someone else bringing light to your life, that person will disappoint you every time. They can't bear that weight. If your heart is desperately wicked and filled with darkness, so is theirs. Matt Chandler says it this way, they make terrible gods. They can't do it. The third place that people turn to, to to seek to find the light is they turn to the world. They turn to what the world can offer. They think, well, this seems to be working in someone else's life. If I just have a new car, maybe that'll shed some light on my life and I'll be better off. Or if I just have a new house, that'll, that'll fix things. And for a while, Matt Chandler points out, that for a while, if we're honest, those things do kind of make us feel better. You get something new and you feel better about yourself. But the reality is the newness wears off very quickly. I've shared this story with you before, but I, when I was a kid growing up, I thought if I could just get that compound bow that would make me happy. And I begged and pleaded and went into debt with my parents to get this compound bow. 
And, uh, and that, I played with that thing and shot that thing for a couple of weeks. But after a couple of weeks, that thing that I thought was going to fill the longing in my heart was just another thing in a corner. The reality is if you're looking to things of this world to, to shed light in your life, let me just remind you that every single thing you will ever own in this world will wind up either at Goodwill or the landfill. None of it can turn light on in your life. The fourth place that, that people turn to to seek to turn on the light in their life is they turn to religion. And they think, well, you know, okay, I'll, I'll go to religion and I'll, I'll do these things in order to get God to like me. And the reality is the Bible tells us that there is nothing you can do to appease a perfectly just God. When you think, when I think that if I do these things, if I do enough good, if I attend enough services, or if I read my Bible, or if I pray, or if I go on a mission trip, or if I do these things, if, when I think that, that I am able to do enough to appease God, I am woefully underestimating the gravity of my sin. I'm woefully underestimating the holiness of God. None of these things, self, others, the world, religion, none of these things will ever shed light in your life. At the end of the day, they're just the blood of bulls and goats. And they cannot satisfy the, the just wrath of an angry God. So how do we find the light? If we leave it there, we're, we're left with this picture that God is angry and there is no hope for us. So how do we find this light? Well, the answer is that we trust in the, the atoning work of Jesus on our behalf. That it's not up to us to, to grope in the darkness, to seek to find a light. The reality is God sent his son to us to bring the light. He is light. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, 11 through 14, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. By a, for, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If, if you're here today and you wonder why you keep going after these things, you keep groping for some light in your life and you can't ever seem to find it, nothing ever lasts Hear the truth of the gospel today. That when Moses says to Pharaoh, you must, you must let us go, you must let us take our herds, our, our flocks with us in order to make sacrifice to our God, they then were doing what was pointing forward to the sending of the perfect lamb that would come. There's no prescription in this text for you to go out and start keeping a couple of sheep around. There's one prescription, and it is 
Jesus. He alone saves. Isaiah 9, verse 2 said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And that passage in Isaiah 9 goes on to describe Jesus as a wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, if you're here today and God in his mercy causes light to shine into your heart and shows you the beauty of the gospel, then by all means today, turn from your sin and trust in him. Why would you ever do anything? Why would, if that happens, why would you ever turn from that and say, no, I think I'll go back to groping in the darkness. If I'm sitting on the, the ledge of that cliff in that cavern and I find the pellet, I don't toss it overboard and say, I think I got this on my own. Those in the light put everything they have on the table. This is what we see here in verse 26 where, where Moses says to Pharaoh, not a hoof shall be left behind. Moses says to Pharaoh, you can't put these limits on, on what we must take and what we must leave behind. Not a hoof shall be left behind. The person who's been, been brought into the light risks everything to stay there. They leave it all because they, they know he's the treasure worth leaving everything for. Man finds a treasure buried in a field and he goes and he sells everything he has to buy that field. Philip Ryken said, the heart of darkness tries to get God to lower his terms, but those who come into the light offer their hearts to God. They refuse to hold anything back. What this means for you today as a believer, as a, as a Christian who's been brought into the light, God has shown his light into your heart, is that there can be no area of your life where you close the door and say, no, God, appreciate the light, but not in there. The Christian says, God, all of me. God, take all of me. Don't forget that the very purpose for their leaving Egypt had always been to serve God alone. It was not to have anything left in Egypt. God wanted all of them, and he would stop nowhere until he had all of them. Verse 26 also says, we don't know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. What Moses is getting at is the law has not been given yet. There's not been prescriptions about how God is to be worshiped. They just know that there will be requirements for sacrifices. They don't know what God will, how if it'll be this or if it'll be that once they get there. So they must take everything not knowing what he would require. Like Moses and the Israelites, we don't know what the worship of our God will require of us in the future either. And please don't hear me saying to you this teaching, this, this works-based faith or works-based uh, salvation today, because that's not what I'm saying. I believe we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
But here's what I'm saying to you is for those of us who have had light shown into our hearts and we are today saved from our sin, we don't know what the future may hold. Especially in a changing culture. We saw this week Miss Davis going to jail. We don't know what the future may hold for us. Are we willing today to say, God, you are trustworthy. God, I leave no hoof behind. I don't know what you'll require of me going forward, but God, I'm bringing it all. I'm putting it all on the table. The last thing I want you to see in this text today is Pharaoh's last step. In verses 27 through 29, Pharaoh takes this one last step. He said, uh, the, the text tells us, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let them go. Just think about that. Just, just a few minutes before, Pharaoh's ready to let them go. And now all of a sudden, nope, will not let them go. Even in the midst of this darkness, even in the midst of all these plagues, God is the one who is controlling and saying, I will decide when the people go. Not you, not anyone else. I will make that determination. He hardens Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Like groping in the darkness, looking for the light and stepping off the edge of the cliff, this bottomless cliff, Pharaoh has no idea what he's done. He has no idea what he's just done. He is prophetic and he doesn't know it. When he tells Moses, get away from me, take care that you never see my face again, he is casting off his only opportunity to be saved. Even the darkness is offered to him as an opportunity to repent. This is not yet the final plague that will come. This is not yet the crossing of the Red Sea where he and his army will be destroyed there. Even here, even now, he's given this opportunity. But by banishing Moses, he doesn't know it, but he's only banishing himself. Like Pharaoh, you may think that you can get rid of God's messenger And if you get rid of his messenger, then you can also get rid of God's demands, but it doesn't work that way. I don't mean this to be antagonistic or spiteful in any way. But if you're here today and you're saying, you know, once I get out of here, I'm never coming back, you can do that. You can say to me, in effect, don't ever see my face again. You may not say that to my face, but your actions may be thinking, I will never see his face again. You may think that if you get rid of God's messenger, that you will also get rid of God's demands on your life. But the reality is, the Bible says, every man, woman, and child will stand before him and give it account. The Bible says that in the end, that every knee will bow and that every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Getting rid of the messenger today does not get rid of God in your life. Let me caution you. I, I, I don't want to use emotional 
pleas or scare tactics in any way, but you, you may not get another opportunity. I would tell you, watch your step. Pharaoh here takes one last fatal step. Isaiah 50, verse 10, I'll close with this verse, says, Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Receive the light in the face of Christ today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, for the, the depth of your word, the clarity of your word, the singularity, God, of the, of the one story, the one message carried throughout its pages. God, I pray now that you would, Lord, bring it home to those who hear. God, that, that today you might fill the cavern of someone's life with glorious light that is Christ. That today someone might stop the groping in the darkness and might simply receive the light that has been provided for them. God, would you do it for your own name, I pray. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond, to reflect on what's been said. And just to simply respond, whatever the word demands of you today, then by the power of his spirit, we want you to to act on it. Today, if you're here, possibly you're in that camp of groping for the light. You've You've never simply received the light that is Jesus. Then today we give you that opportunity. If God today in the midst of this sermon or in the midst of this response shines light into your heart, then I'll be seated on the front row. I'd love for you to come talk to me. I'd love to, love to hear and help you turn from your sin and trust the Lord. We'd love to, to walk alongside of you as a church to help you from this point forward to know what, what now? How do I go from here? So come see me. If you need to be prayed for or prayed with, there are people that are out in the prayer room, out the doors to to my right and your left. They'd love to just hear and pray. You can come pull me aside. I'd love to pray with you. That happens almost every week, and and, uh, it's a great privilege to pray with all who come. There's nothing special about me. I'm no mediator. You need one mediator, and it's Jesus. But if I can be a brother to you, up to you. I'd love to pray with you. However the Lord leads, respond to you today. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.